You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, good morning. As we continue in our time of worship, you will turn in your Bible to John 14. We're just going to be looking at three verses today because they're so critical in understanding the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. He's trying to prove that I need him. (laughs) Thank you for leading us in worship, choir, orchestra as well. One brief announcement. Our women's Bible study will be kicking off again this Wednesday. And it's great material, it always is. And if you've not signed up, you can do so on the Lakeview website. So that's the Lakeview's Bible study that will begin on Wednesday. Well, if you would look with me in verse 15 of chapter 14 of John, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper our advocate, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you, but get this, and will be in you. Let's pray. Father, this is such a critical passage because we recognize that the Holy Spirit, who is equal in essence and power and glory to you and the Son of God, is the one who indwells us today and empowers us and illumines us and convicts us. And yet, Lord, we we often ignore the importance of the Holy Spirit. And we just pray today that even by the Spirit, we could be taught the importance of the Holy Spirit. And we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. So three weeks ago, on July the 25th, there was a woman named Peggy Jones in Silsby, Texas. And she had been working with her husband in the yard all day. And the last chore she had for the day was to cut her backyard. So as she's cutting her backyard, all of a sudden and out of the blue, a four and a half foot snake falls from the sky and wraps around her arm. Well, she did what you and I would do. She began to try to knock that snake off of her, but as she did that, the snake wrapped tighter and began striking at her face. She had glasses on, fortunately, and there was venom all over her glasses afterwards. Well, that was bad enough. But all of a sudden, out of the blue, a hawk (laughs) flies down and begins to attack Peggy as the hawk tries to steal the snake from Peggy. Turns out the snake had been in the hawk's beak 
and it had dropped out of the beak of the hawk and, and had fallen on Miss Peggy Jones. Well, the hawk does this four times. He flies up and he comes back down and he, and he attacks Miss Jones because evidently the, the hawk thinks that Miss Jones wants the snake. <laughs> Eventually, the, the hawk gets the snake and flies away. Well, Miss Jones uh, had to go to the ER with, with all kinds of cuts and, and bites and, and bruises and even puncture wounds. But she's going to be okay. But a couple of points from this. First of all, we live in a world of trouble. I mean, this woman was just doing her due diligence. She's just working in her yard, and trouble literally falls from the sky. All right? That is why John 14 is so important, by the way. Jesus is addressing those who have troubled hearts. He, he begins the chapter, let not your hearts be troubled. And towards the very end of the chapter, verse 27, let not your hearts be troubled. He's addressing those who experience trouble in this world, the troubled heart. But secondly, her response to this trouble was the right one. Here's what Mrs. Jones said. She said... She kept saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Well, that's the cry of the 11 disciples in the upper room. As Jesus has told them, he is going away. They have troubled hearts. In so many words, they are crying out to him, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. But, but how can Jesus help them when he's going away? Well, our text is going to answer that for us. And he's going to tell them, as he has been telling them, and he's telling us by extension that actually his going away is a superior situation for his disciples than him staying before his glorification. And that's hard for us to get our minds around, but that's what he's saying. It's actually better. And he's given them several reasons why it's better. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen those reasons. For one, he's going to prepare a better place than the place we have here. The place he's preparing, there won't be snakes and hawks coming out of the sky. Secondly, he's going to actually pave the way to that place. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Third, we've seen that he is going to demonstrate by going away that he is the very revelation of the God that they cannot see, God the Father. And then finally, we saw last week, he's going away to enable them to do greater works. Today, we just have one point. And the point is this, he's going away to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, his going away is essentially him going to pay an infinite cost for all of these blessings. And that's our one point today. At an infinite cost, Jesus Christ is ensuring for those who believe the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this text, we're going to see several important truths about the Holy Spirit. And the first truth we're going to see is that 
The Holy Spirit is necessary in order to love Jesus and to obey Jesus. Look with me in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, he says that in the context of verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And so, contextually, he is saying, the Holy Spirit is necessary to love Jesus and to obey him. Now, he has just emphasized the importance of praying. We saw that last week. And the importance of believing. And now he is changing his emphasis to the importance of obedience. Now, I want you to note the order here. Obedience flows from love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So true obedience doesn't simply come by trying harder, right? It comes as we increase in love. That's why Paul would pray in 1 Thessalonians 3, I pray that the Lord would cause you to increase and abound in love. That is his prayer for the, the, the Thessalonians because love is the fuel for obedience. If there's no obedience, there is no love. Now here is the question. What is it that fuels our love? Well, there's a lot of things that fuel our love for God, but first and principally, love is fueled by pardon, by the forgiveness of sins because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Now, where do I get that? Well, John, the one who wrote this, tells us in 1 John, in 1 John 4, and this is love. Not that you love God, but he loved you, and he gave his son as a propitiation for your sins. Now, what does propitiation mean? That means he satisfied God's holy wrath on our sins. He gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Therefore, beloved, if God so loved you in this way, so you ought to love one another. Note the order. The love of God, forgiving us of our sins at an infinite cost, the Lord Jesus Christ, and out of that love comes our love. If we are loveless, that means we're not walking in the love of God. In fact, he will go on in that very chapter, 1 John 4, 19, and says, we love God because he first loved us. And what the love of God does, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of God compels us, all right? It controls us. It makes duty into delight. When we read the law of God, when we read the commands of God, it just seems like a duty that we want nothing to do with. But what that love does is it actually transforms our hearts so that we now delight in our duty. John Newton, who wrote a song called Amazing Grace that you may be familiar with, said this in a poem, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. You see that? Our pleasure and our duty, they come together. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, 
to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. So here's the question. What is it that made this former slave owner? In fact, he worked on a slave ship. He was a corrupt, evil man. A man so evil that there is an account where he is visiting a prostitute. And the prostitute rebuked him for his obscene language. That's how evil this man, John Newton, once was. But what was it that transformed this pagan into a servant of mercy and grace? A trophy of grace. He says in this poem, it was a beauty. It was a beauty that transformed him. In other words, the gospel call does not start with a duty. It starts with a beauty. A beauty without which a duty would be impossible. In other words, long-term Christian obedience will fail. It will always fail if not fueled by the glorious gospel and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to love God more, we must reflect on the beauty of Christ. And yes, he, he secures pardon for us, but he also promises protection, preservation, provision, and his providential activity for our good and God's glory. All of that are demonstrations of the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that truth that makes the gift of the Holy Spirit so glorious and important for us. Because how are we going to behold the beauty of Christ? It comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who comes and, and will glorify the Son by giving us spiritual enlightenment on His glory and on His beauty. So we've seen that the Holy Spirit is necessary to love God and to obey Him. The second point we're going to see about the Holy Spirit in, this, in these three verses is that the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father. Now we're going to see later, He's also a gift from the Son. But right here, He's a gift from the Father. Look with me in verse 16. He says, And I will ask the Father. Of course, He's saying that right off the hills of, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This tells us we need the Holy Spirit to do that. And he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Even Jesus prays to the Father that he might give his people what they need. To be with you forever. Now, why is it important that we know that the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father? Well, for one, it reveals the Father's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's also, it also could be said, God so loved the world that he gave the Holy Spirit. All right? So, for instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the Father gives us the Holy Spirit, and it's by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that we can say 
Jesus is Lord. Not just with our mouths. We can say it with our affections. We can say it with our will. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. It is by the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, 13, that we put to death the deeds of the body. It is by the Holy Spirit we die and crucify the remnants of the old self that continue to rear its ugly head day in and day out. It is by the Holy Spirit that we are granted gifts to edify the body. It is by the Holy Spirit the fruit of the Spirit is produced through us that we may glorify God with our lives and actually enjoy doing it. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and so on. And so the Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father. A third truth that we see about the Holy Spirit from this passage is the, the Holy Spirit that he describes here as the helper will be with them forever. Notice again in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Once given to you, he will never be taken away. That's one of the numerous supports for what we know as eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Once saved, always being saved, right? This is one of many, many verses that remind us that once the Spirit is given to us, He will never be taken away. Why? Because it's not depend the Holy Spirit's presence in us is not dependent on our obedience. It is grounded by the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 1 that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. In fact, that word guarantee is used three times in the New Testament. And all three times it's used to refer to the promise secured by the Holy Spirit. And so God gives His people the Holy Spirit with the expectation, with the assurance that the full inheritance is coming. He's the down payment, the Holy Spirit. And so having redeemed us in the Son... The Father redeems us once for all in the Son. The Father will not fail to safeguard us until the arrival of our arrival into heaven um, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who will maintain and secure our faith. Fourth truth about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Son the Son of God, and we could say, and to the Father. Now, He's the anonymous third person of the Trinity because He comes to glorify the Son, who then glorifies the Father. But He is equal in essence and power and glory to the Father and the Son. Now, why do I say that? Well, again, note with me, verse 16, and the Father will give you another helper. Now, there are two, if I could get technical here a moment, but this is important truth. There are two different Greek words that can be translated as another. You see here, he will give you another helper. The first Greek word is the, the word heteros. 
You could spell that H-E-T-E-R-O-S. It means another of a different kind. All right? So think about this example. Let's say I have my, the ESV study Bible here, and you come to me and you say, Brian, I, I would love for you to give me a Bible. I don't have a Bible. And I give you a New American Standard, which is another good Bible. I have given you another of a different kind. All right? That's the word heteros here. All right? It's a different translation, another of a different kind. But then there's another Greek word for, that would translate another. Alos, A-L-L-O-S, if you were to spell it in English. This is another of the same kind. That's the word used here. And so you ask me for a Bible, and I have this ESV, and I give you an ESV Bible. And so he is saying, I am going to, the Father is going to give you another of the same kind as me. Remember, he's comforting the disciples here. And he is offering them a helper who is equal, equal in essence and power and glory to the Son. What he's saying is it's easy for us to think that those disciples have a big advantage over us because Jesus was there in the flesh. And he said, no, you have one just like me coming. That is the promise that Jesus is giving his disciples who are troubled in their spirit. Now, I want you to notice this word helper. This is the first time it's found in John, but we're going to see it four times. This is the first of four times. It's found five times in the New Testament. All five times, John uses that word helper or advocate. Now, four times in John... And one time in 1 John, 1 John 2, verse 1, which interestingly does not refer to the Holy Spirit, but refers to Jesus himself. He says, um, I write these things to you, brother, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a helper. We have an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who was a propitiation for our sins. Well, that word is found here to refer to the Holy Spirit. Now, the King James Version translates this, another comforter. So maybe you've heard it translated that way, another comforter. And that does bring an aspect to what the Holy Spirit comes to do, to comfort us. But it's bigger than that. Uh, the NIV translates this, another counselor, and that's certainly a ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, next week we're going to see more of what the Holy Spirit will do for us all of these bring out aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But to understand fully what Jesus is getting at, let's again go back to the Greek word. Generally, we don't need to know the Greek word to understand the text. But this particular passage, there's a couple of words we need to understand. The first one was alos. The second one here is the word that is translated helper. He will give you another helper. That word is paraclete. You've heard that word, perhaps, if you've been in church long enough. He will give you another paraclete. Now, that is a compound word. And so the prefix para means alongside of. And the suffix here, kaleo, means to call out. And so we might literally say 
He's going to give you the Holy Spirit who is the one who is called alongside you. He's called to our side to continue the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's very comforting. That's why he came. That's why the Holy Spirit was sent. And so ultimately, the Holy Spirit carries on Jesus' work as our Messiah and as our Christ. Now, we're again, we're going to see more of what that looks like next week, but that's what he's doing. The Holy Spirit is coming to carry on, to continue the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And when you think about Messiah, that, that title brings, brings about uh, this idea of the three messianic offices of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. All right? So Messiah means anointed one. That's what the Hebrew word means. Christ is the Greek equivalent, means anointed one. And under the Old Covenant, there were three offices that were anointed. Prophet, priest, and king. And remember, the Old Testament is preparing us for the one who would come, the ultimate Christ, the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate anointed one. And so in terms of the offices, the Holy Spirit is coming to carry on within us the work accomplished by Jesus for us. Does that make sense? So Jesus has accomplished a work for us, and now the Holy Spirit comes, and he carries out that work within us. And Jesus, again, pointed at by the Old Testament, is our prophet, priest, and king. Now, why do we need a prophet? Because we're ignorant. Why do we need a priest? Because we're guilty. Why do we need a king? Because we're weak and helpless. Christ is our prophet. What does he do as our prophet? Christ is our prophet, reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. If you want to know how to be saved, if you want to know how to come to the Father, it is through Jesus. He is our prophet. If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he continues that ministry of Jesus' prophetic office. And how does he do that? Well, first and foremost, he inspired the scriptures. The Holy Spirit moved on men of God. They were carried along by the Spirit and they wrote the very word of God so that we may know God in Jesus Christ. The the Bible is thoroughly a Christ-centered document. Now, the Spirit comes now not to inspire us. He's already inspired us. He's already inspired the, the writers to write the Word of God. We don't need book 67 of the canon. The Bible is sufficient. But what He does now is He gives us illumination. He gives us illumination on what He inspired in the Word of God. And that's how the Holy Spirit carries out the prophetic office of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about priest? Jesus Christ is our priest. He offered himself a sacrifice, a divine sacrifice to atone for our sins and to reconcile us to God. And he continues to make intercession for us. That's what Jesus did once for all. The Holy Spirit comes and he carries out that ministry of Jesus' priesthood. What he does as our helper, he does that work in us by bringing peace to our troubled consciences when we sin by reminding us, taking us back to the 
all-sufficient pardoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ through his cross. In other words, the pardon for sin was achieved for us in Jesus as our advocate. And now the application of that pardon is worked through us and in us by the Holy Spirit. Third, Christ is our king. Christ is our king, subdues us to himself. He rules over us, and he restrains and conquers all of his and our enemies. That's what the, the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And so the Holy Spirit continues that ministry of Jesus the king by subduing our sin, our biggest enemy. Again, Romans 8, by the Spirit, you, you put the deed uh, to death, the deeds of the body, and by this you live. And so he subdues our enemies. He, he appropriates the armor of God so that we can stand in the day of spiritual warfare. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And one thing all of these ministries have in common is that they are revealed to us in Jesus through the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. We can't live the Christian life apart from the Word of God. That brings us to the, the fifth truth about the Holy Spirit. That brings us to verse 17. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Verse 17. He says, He will be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, there are three names given in this section of John for the Holy Spirit. We've already seen one. He's our helper, the paraclete. We will see next week that he is the Holy Spirit, uh, that term Holy Spirit is used 92 times in the Bible, 90 times in the New Testament. And then we see this name, the Spirit of Truth. We're going to see him describe the Spirit as the Spirit of Truth three times. Chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. And so we just read a couple weeks ago that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so in this respect, the helper is like Jesus, who is the truth. He does this, again, by granting us illumination. He gives us eyes to see. There was once a time before you were saved that when you read the Bible, it was like you couldn't have been. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher. It, it was just background noise to you. It was boring it was lifeless. And then one day, a brilliant light, all right, came to your spiritual eyes and you saw the word for what it is, the word of life. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He enlightens the eyes, Psalm 19 tells us. He rejoices the heart. He revives the soul. He makes wise the simple. That's why Jesus describes him as the spirit of truth. He doesn't give you new truth. You, you have enough truth in the canon, but he shows you the truth that's already been revealed by the inspiration of the spirit. Sixth thing we see about the spirit 
And it's by the Spirit Jesus will dwell with his disciples. Notice again, he says, for he will dwell with you and he will be in you. Now, during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry, the Spirit was on Jesus and therefore with the disciples because they were with Jesus. But now he's promising something new. He would indwell. The Holy Spirit would indwell the new covenant believer. And that doesn't mean that under the old covenant they weren't regenerated. You have to be regenerated, all right, to enter the kingdom of God. But there is a new reality about the Holy Spirit, a new experience of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is securing by his cross. He was with you, but now he will be in you. And by being in us, here's the glory. Paul says, it will be as if Jesus is in you. Ephesians 3.16, he prays that the believers would be strengthened by power. Get this, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what makes this so amazing is that this is better than Jesus walking physically with us. Now, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's not just with us, he is in us. That's Jesus encouraging these disciples with their troubled hearts. They feared that when Jesus went away, they were going to lose their intimacy with Jesus. Like uh, when, when you move from one place to another, and those close relationships that were so important to you kind of fade and die over time. No, Jesus is saying it's going to be stronger. It's going to be better than when I was with you physically before I was glorified. That brings us to the final point, the final truth of the Holy Spirit here. And this is hard, but it's true. The Holy Spirit is unavailable to the world. He is unavailable, in other words, to those who do not believe. Notice at the end there, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Even then, but it's true today, the world is utterly materialistic which means it's skeptical of what it cannot see or touch. The works of the Holy Spirit are foolishness to the unbeliever. And so the inward graces that the Holy Spirit works, like contrition of sin, you know how much of a miracle it is that when you sin, you're more concerned that you have grieved God than you are the consequences of your sin? That's what contrition means. That's what godly sorrow means. The world can't understand that. The world gets upset when it messes up because they don't like the consequences. And the Holy Spirit comes and he works godly sorrow and contrition in the believer. The world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't understand the, the faith, hope, and love that is worked in the believer's heart by the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't understand that for the believer, there's a growing zeal for the glory of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't understand that. It's foolishness to them. In September 2021, the Cultural Research Center as Arizona Christian University completed a, a very extensive study 
And the, the results were astounding to me. In this study, this research center asserted that 69% of Americans still claim to be Christians. Now, if you read all the results, you'd realize there's a lot of people who have different definitions than what biblical Christianity is. But of those 69% who, who claim to be Christians, 58% of them contend that the Holy Spirit is not real. That the Holy Spirit is not a living being. That He's not a person. That He's just symbolic of God's power. And Jesus is saying, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised by that. The world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. All right? But if you are loving the Lord Jesus Christ today, if you seek to obey the Lord Jesus Christ today, in other words, there's no area of your life that you've sequestered off from God, and I would say to our incoming freshmen, you're going to have, you're going to have temptations in these next four years you have never had before because you've had the restraining grace of parental authority, and now you know it's no longer there for many of you. Okay? But for those of you that really seek to come here and glorify God in Christ by obeying Him in every area of your life, that is evidence that the Father has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you love Him and you desire to live for His name and to live for His glory, that's a miracle of grace worked in you by the omnipotent Holy Spirit, the all-powerful Holy Spirit. Jesus has told his disciples, it's better that I depart. It's better that I depart. He's given them all these reasons. And today we've seen one of the central reasons. It's better that I depart so that I can send you the helper, the paraclete, the one by whom I will indwell you. I mean, think about this as we close. Wouldn't it be amazing? Just imagine this. Every trouble you face, you got Jesus standing there by your side. Every temptation you have, you got Jesus standing there by your side. Every time you get discouraged, you got Jesus standing by your side. Every time you are disheartened, your heart is broken, you got Jesus standing by your side. And Jesus is actually saying here, it's better than that. It's better than that. You have me in you because of the gift of the paraclete, the helper. This word is for Christians first and foremost to strengthen our faith in the glory of God, the goodness of God, the gospel of God. But it's also a word to those of you who have not yet trusted in Jesus. I can't save you as Adam and the musicians come forward. But here's the good news. As we're going to see later in John 16, the Holy Spirit has come not just for Christians. He's come for unbelievers to convict you of sin, righteousness, 
and judgment. And perhaps today you are convicted of your sin. You recognize I am separated from God. I don't love Him. I don't desire to obey Him. I don't feel Him. I don't see Him. This is all to me just a cultural discipline I've developed under the guidance of my parents. And here's the deal. The Holy Spirit has come to convict you. But here's what you have to do. You have to respond by confessing your sin and repenting of it and then fleeing to the one in whom the Holy Spirit has come to glorify, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you'll trust in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you will be granted the gift, get this, of the comforter, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit. Won't you come this morning as we stand and sing? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.